we had a blast setting it up. And we change something every time, which is what's most exciting. Oh, I'm telling you, Leah, the first, like, when I first came over here, he already had some stuff set up. And then every time I'd come over the first, like, even still now, he'd be like, yeah. wait till you see the changes. I'm yeah. like, How, what else could you have changed? We're always trying to optimize things. Nice. That's what it is. My son, uh, my second son, is very into uh, music and stuff, and he tried to seal off his room. Oh, yeah? From Oh, like soundproofing? Sound exactly. Panels. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it works. <laughs> He he hardly ever gets out of his room though. Is he well? How old is he? Eight, seventeen. Oh, okay. okay, he's like, so he's kind of like, want to come out for dinner now? Nope, nope, exactly. Bring it to me. Cocoon. Yep. It's living in his cocoon. That's funny, man. That's funny. I don't think I was ever like that because I always used to get like, I would be in my room for a little bit, and I'm, I'm like so much of a social butterfly. I'd be like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, gotta, yeah. I gotta get out. Ugh. It was like punishment being in your room. Too long, probably. Well, for you, my, Cole. I remember a couple times I got in a fight with my parents, and <laughs> they were like, "My mom was like, well, you're grounded for two weeks.'" And I'd be like, "Make it three, and she'd make it four. I'd be like, "Make it eight, I don't care, right?" And then I'm like, literally, I'd be in my room for like two. I'd get home from school and go to my room. Yeah, I'd regret that immediately, oh, immediately. Uh, but do you want to get this started? Stories. Yeah, let's go for it, man. I'm let's excited. Go. You I'll, go ahead. You go ahead and introduce it. All righty. Well, I'll kick things over to you, but I'll, I'll kick things off. Let it flow this way. Yes, sir. We'll flow towards the room. All righty. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Unscripted Exchanges. This is going to be by far the best episode. I'm feeling great things today. We've got an exciting guest coming on, but I'll let Cole do the official introduction. You made me feel special when you say it like that. You're full of energy today. I am. I had to turn up my energy for you. <sighs> ready to go, ready to go. Well, thank you guys for joining us for another episode. I am your co-host, Cole. As Hayden mentioned, I do think this is going to be the most valuable, uh, you know, in, versus, in, in terms of content, engagement, just stuff like that. I think there's, there's, wisdom. A fe- there's a feeling in the room, wisdom, experience. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Leo Chan. He is currently the executive director of the Midwest Chinese Chamber of Commerce. He has an unbelievable story and background ranging from telecom to you know, finance and investing to technology ventures. I mean, the list goes on, but Leo has been a, uh, a mentor of mine since I started my own company, and he's just been a great friend and resource. Thanks for the cl- You're clapping for him. You hear that? You like that? So uh, without further ado, I just say thank you, Leo. Uh, if you would like to introduce yourself, hopefully I hit some stuff. Sure. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Really, Cole, you're just uh, uh, really old, uh, exaggerating a little oh, bit. Oh, come on. on. <laughs> what, what I can do. Really, I'm just uh, really uh, the executive director of a nonprofit organization here, uh, here in uh, the Midwest. And uh, we're just trying to... Um, uh, serve as a bridge between our region and the rest of the world. Um, most, of course, you know, more trying to focus on the East Asia uh, area. But mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what we what we're doing right now as a nonprofit. But before that, yes, I did start my career in uh, banking, uh, commercial banking, working for a, uh, a French bank and then a Chinese bank, and then uh, moved on in the tech industry, um, and then made a comeback. Um, to the financial industry, started some uh, venture capital and a couple funds um, in uh, in Asia. 
So you've done a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you've done a lot. I I would say I've uh, I've been to a lot of places and uh, I met a lot of people mm-hmm. and uh, I think I have some stories that uh, that might be interesting and that's all. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So Thank you for introducing yourself, Leo. I think it's it's always a tough question when somebody when I introduce you, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, this is this is me. But we're just excited to have you on today. Thank you. Um, and I know we've got some questions to throw at you sure. that I think that uh, will create a lot of value. So without further ado, I'll let Hayden kind of jump into a couple questions he's got and we'll kind of rock it. Sounds like a plan. And once again, Leo, thank you for coming on. Uh, this is going to be an awesome episode. Uh, so I did a little bit of uh, homework. Uh, just trying to learn more about, you know, who you are, obviously you introduced yourself, but, um, definitely want to dig a little bit deeper. I see you've got a lot of background in finance, startup, technology, et cetera. Um, and I see that you've co-founded a couple of technology startups. What would you say has been like your most favorite and why? Of course, the most favorite one is probably the ones that are still running. Sure, because <laughs> um, uh, a lot of people that have that have done some research in this industry probably already knew that the survival rate for uh, uh, startups are extremely low, mm-hmm. and ninety um, some percent actually would die in the first um, angel rounds, and then the uh, VC, before they can make it to the uh, VC rounds. Um, we, uh, one of the things that I'm very, very interested in is always agriculture technology mm-hmm. and uh, the way that we saw, um, everything, how, how the entire world going through different waves of, uh, technological innovations and brought a lot of great things really to our day-to-day life. Um, but then a lot of times we tend to forget, you know, what's the most important part of our life and that is keeping agriculture, um, going mm-hmm. in an in a efficient way and hopefully you know uh, we can feed more people so um, the my favorite um, startup would be uh, specifically that and okay. uh, we actually had a uh, tech startup in uh, in southern China um, that does uh, that uses uh, drones to spread fertilizers mm-hmm. and um, actually um, predict um, what the what the what the weather is going to be like and what the crops will actually need and then have the drones go out there and uh, spread the fertilizers or, well, in some cases, pesticides as well, uh, just to make sure the crops can grow fast and healthily and uh, have uh, uh, produce higher yields. That's awesome. Now, when you mention these drones, these probably aren't your average little drones that you can buy at like Best Buy. These no, are probably no. some heavy-duty commercial drones. Yeah, they are heavy-duty ones. Um, they can lift up to uh, anywhere between 30 to even 50, 60 pounds wow. of uh, uh, pesticides or uh, fertilizers um, and then be able to you know, intelligently tell which areas that, that, that actually needs them uh, and be you know, put on a schedule to, uh, to do so automatically. That's absolutely fascinating. Now, are there I can't like... remember, but the code, did you actually see it? Or... Oh, I think we were planning on seeing it when we were there. We never, we got some pictures of them. Yep. These things were like huge. I mean, they were like really industrial grade right. drones. They were yep. cool. Now, is it just a couple handful or are there like hundreds of these covering like acres? Well, um, we, what we try to do is we try to make it into a business model that the uh, farmers can actually 
um, can also benefit from. Mm-hmm. Um, as we know, you know the the agriculture is being done differently in different co- countries and different cultures. Uh, in the case of uh, Asia, um, there's a lot of uh, terrains that are not, you know, friendly to large have harvesters or large machineries to go in and uh, do everything all at once. So it's actually quite common that the uh, vill- each village actually has its own sort of operators, and we try to make a make a business case for for a let's say a two man crew to go in and drive a minivan and then bring all these uh, industrial grade um, drones to do a operation once a day or a couple Got times it. a day. Yep. Okay. Right, because the way it's split up over there, what I remember when we went over there is you've got obviously your individual farmers mm-hmm. and different, obviously different, like over in, in specifically in China, they have the different cities and regions where they have different kinds of farming, right? Fish farming might be predominantly here where this type of farming is predominantly in this region. And then you've got uh, different operators that are in charge of, you know, whether it's government or committees that are in charge of uh, kind of helping set the tone and, and manage that. So it sounds like one of the one of the business model approaches you're taking is going to this, like let's say this region, saying, "Okay, let us help you," and here's how we would do it. Right. And are you are you guys yeah. in? What we do is we provide the technology, we provide the equipment, the hardware, the training, and then really have the villages, each village or each little community that they that they have control over their own land. Uh, decide, you know, who should be the operators of those uh, equipment and devices uh, with the training that we offer them. Awesome. I'm going off of, uh, or I'm not going off of my sheet here, uh, just learning more about the (laughs) agricultural technology out there. And this is going to be a loaded question. Do you believe there will be a point in time where world hunger is solved? And like, how do we get to that point in time? And again, well, that's a very big question, but I'm going to throw it your way. Um, it is a big question, but then if you look at it, we already solved a lot, a huge part of the uh, world hunger problem already. If you look at where we are today, with seventy, uh, with seven or eight billion people on on this planet, and uh, it's unimaginable. You know, just uh, several decades ago, we probably thought you know this Earth could take no more than two billion people, and now we're at seven or eight. Right, and. Um, but having said that, um, I do think there's a limit to what we can do, you know, um, sure. that's still in a sustainable way uh, to feed more people in a more efficient way. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, when that pivot point is going to be. And, and uh, luckily, we are still in a, in a place where we can comfortably say that we have enough food. Just look at America alone. You know, in in the United States, we produce more food than um, maybe that they can actually ha- feed half of the world's population. Yeah, no, all good points. And I think actually backtracking a little bit, at least in America, there's probably more of an opportunity to prevent food waste. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, how do we go about that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, because I, well, I get mad at my, I get upset, mad. I get upset with my daughter lately because she's been, she goes through these phases where she's wants to, you know how kids are. They want to eat. They'll eat everything on their plate. And then all of a sudden they're in a phase where like you make them their their favorite meal, right? Okay. Spaghetti's like, she loves spaghetti. Make her spaghetti. She'll pick at it. And she'll leave half it on the plate. And it's just been getting under my skin lately because I'm like, okay, 
I know you're going to ask for food later, and the only place this food is going to go to the trash. So again, you, you see it in like little microcosms, like in your own home, yeah, and you're like, okay, if we're doing this and other people are doing this, again, that's a whole different topic. Like yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, I wanted to piggyback off of the question that you asked about, you know, the favorite startup. He asked you what was one of your favorite projects and why, and you said agriculture and and talked about your drone project, which. I've seen kind of firsthand really, really neat. Um, some of the impact it can have over in, in Asia is just unbelievable. But going back to like startups in general and, and call it startups, call it founding a business, start, call it, you know, starting a podcast like we're mm-hmm. doing even. We had a really cool conversation, Hayden, at lunch. Leo and I did about what we're doing here and kind of, you know, the the grand scheme of when you're starting a venture you know, what do you look for? And and so I want to kind of dive in and pick your brain on on that that kind of topic. Right. Um, really, it's very difficult to um, put a map out there and say this is sure win and that is a sure lose. It's almost like walking into the casino and you, you can't really say, hey, that table is my lucky table and the other ones is not, right? Um, so for startups, you know, what, you, what you've got to look at is a number of things. And uh, it's part science, it's part uh, art. And mm-hmm. uh, the art part is probably the mo- more difficult one. The science part, you know, you can always come up with all kinds of uh, numbers and, and figures and and be able to na- analyze them, you know, uh, put it on a map and uh, put it on a chart and what have you. Um, but then at the same time, what what I just shared with you earlier in, at, at lunch is, you know, you got to first start with the winning categories. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I picked agriculture versus the other ones. Because um, if you look at look look around the world where everything has been inflated, basically, you know, you look at um, technologies, you look at automation, you look at um internet uh information and of course you a lot of a lot of us spend a lot of money or made a lot of investments in the healthcare industries as well and now education mm-hmm. guess what's going to happen next you know with all the infl- inf- inflation going up with um everything that's been inflated in terms of valuation and all that people sooner or later they're going to find out Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, all I need to survive on is just food. Yeah. And food, it comes from agriculture. Mm-hmm. And how do we make sure agriculture continue to uh, develop and flourish in a way that's sustainable? That's more important. If you go to the uh, ho- go to the markets today, and you see a category that's called um, um, uh, what's what's it called a G- non GMO, right? Non GMO. Yeah. <laughs> well. Unfortunately, a lot of the products. One of the reasons why we are able to we were able to partially address the world hunger issue is the uh, GMO. Sure. We genetically modified a lot of uh, you know, products and produce and and make them produce more rather than have using the technologies that I was referring to to keep them healthier. And um, so that's one of the that's one of the reasons why I think this category is probably going to be the next category. We we already see people. Uh, especially the Chinese astronauts bringing uh, seeds up to the moon and try to, you know, see if there's a way for us to grow plants out into space and be able to continue to feed our Earth. I think the problems will be solved in one day and uh, there will be more innovations coming out of this area and people are going to pay more attention to the food that they that they eat, the food that they take in, mm-hmm. and because that ultimately is going to dictate your health eventually. Couldn't right. agree anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And Cole and I have talked about that on a couple of recent episodes. Yep. What you put into your body is fuel for life. Exactly. And if you're putting in the yes, wrong stuff, is. you know, it could have some serious, you know, uh, consequences with your body and ultimately it could end up leading to death. There you go. Yep. Yep. I got more questions, but I didn't know if you wanted well, to keep... Th- there's one more thing, and then we can flow into those, because I, from knowing, and I, I mentioned this to you, Hayden, and one of the things I've heard you say, Leo, and I want, I, I kind of want our listeners, and, and I want to understand more, is you keep coming back to this art, this, 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 mm-hmm. this and you've said this to me um, for years, actually. You've, you've several times, uh, as a mentor and as, you know, as a, you know, business partner of mine in the past, you've made the comment that there's this part that's analytics. There's this part that is uh, data driven and, and looking at market reports and looking at yields of, of certain industries. And there's this part of starting a business or being successful in business that is an art form. And my question to you is like, what, what about it is an art form? And, and is that something that you can as a, as a, uh, want to be entrepreneur, you know, you know, want to be is a bad word. What's the right word I'm looking for? Um, aspiring. That, aspiring. Yeah. I don't like the word wanna, <laughs> as a want to be, you know, as an aspiring entrepreneur or aspiring, uh, you know, business executive or, or right. investor. Great, great question. Um, the world is very interesting if we look at it. I mean, um, it's almost like a quantum physics in some way, right? You know, if we, if we simply observe it, as a completely outsider, as a third party, we look at the earth and we look at, you know, just picture yourself as an alien and you come to earth and you look at earth, you'll be like, oh, this earth is so strange. It's beautiful, but then it's also strange. It's right. weird, right? With America being, you know, um, uh, th- between three and 5% of the world population, but control a large, <laughs> a large part of it, yeah. part of the earth and all that. Um, and, and America produces a lot of food and its people uh, uh, have problems with obesity and heart issues and all that. Um, but then there's other parts of the world having famine, having hunger mm-hmm. problem and all that. But, but you can't. The thing is, you are part of it. You know, even if you are traveling to Earth as an alien, you come to the Earth and you look at it, and it's so strange. But then you, you, you being, you start getting involved, you be seen. Then people will look at you and say, "Hey, here's an alien. Right, right. <laughs> come on, let's let's show, let's uh, let's capture this alien and uh, and and put it put it on a on a world tour. And, <laughs> and you start changing things. Right. The thing is, you start changing things, and that's the part that that's the piece that I was really referring to as the art piece mm-hmm. because while everything may be factual everything may be just data maybe just figures and numbers but when you get involved even when you actually only observe uh, and you be observed at the same time then you're actually bringing in a change agent to the whole thing and when you bring the change agent into the whole thing everything could becomes unpredictable yep. everything becomes you know dynamic, mm-hmm. fluent, uh, fluid, and then you don't know what the outcome actually will be for right. you and for the people around you or for the, for the things that you're observing. It's the same thing as the the uh, venture capital industry as well. A lot of people say, hey, you know, um, Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, was sure to win. Well, how do you know he's sure to win? If he had not met with, you know, um, SoftBank, 
founder. And, you know, that's probably, it would be a completely different story. He would still be struggling trying to figure out, you know, how to do uh, indexing of uh, businesses on the internet, on uh, Facebook, uh, uh, not, not Facebook, on, on Yahoo's uh, China page. Mm -hmm. That was all he was doing. Yep. And uh, when I met him for the first time. Wait, you met? Yes, a long time ago. He actually, he had his staff actually call me and say, hey, you know, would you like to get your company listed on my uh, on my China Yahoo page? Wow. And I said, how much would it cost me? He said, uh, 1,300 RMB, is, which is about 200, 200 US dollars. And I'm like, no way. I'm not going to pay $100 to, live, to live my, list my company on a, on a nobody watch, nobody use right. yellow page. Right. Really, it was just yellow page, but it's put online. And that's it. You know? <laughs> Um, so I still remember those days, you know, but uh, but he managed to meet you know, the SoftBank and got the investments and, you know, continue to continue to experiment. And one of the biggest things, of course, is not really Alibaba. Alibaba's success is not Alibaba itself. It's not even Taobao, which is the uh, kind of like the Chinese equivalent of, uh, of uh, Amazon or eBay. It was actually the Chinese version of PayPal. Really? Let's see, Alipay. Alipay was actually the the single most important success factor for Jack Ma. Hmm. Nothing else. So, how would you know? You know, how to, when you first met him, when I first met him, I was like, okay. So you're speaking to the art form, like it was. Yeah. Exactly. You're changing things, and the same. It's the same thing. You know, he met uh, SoftBank. SoftBank made that investment. Well, there's a lot of. Things, more, yeah, a lot of, a lot of moving are, yeah, variables but, but, for sure. Yeah, but the, simply put, it's kind of like that. You know, you 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 never knew who you were going to meet, mm -hmm. what you were going to talk about, yep. and what kind of change is actually being induced into the conversation, and what the outcome might turn out to be. And uh, that's the art part, I think. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like art is. I mean, it's almost just as important, or they're equally important, art and the science part. But it's much more challenging or harder to measure what it's goes really into the art part. Yeah, yep, for sure. I love, I just love that, that totally. it's, I've, I've, I've heard that from him several, several times. I'm like, it just makes so much sense to me, but that's also like you said, the most challenging part because you can go and pull right. data and get industry reports and go, okay, this is why it's going to be a success. But then when you can't, what you can't factor in, well, it's the X factor, the art factor. You can't, making the right decisions at the times. There's no rhyme or reason why certain some decisions are made, some aren't. Right. Some uh, some some things are gone after somewhat. So anyway, it's super interesting. So I'll let you, I just want to ask that question, Abe, but go ahead. No, I think that was a fascinating question. I love the answer, Leo. Um, and speaking of data, uh, I mean, I've got a passion for data. I used to be an analyst at Kroger. I'm still at Kroger, but just not in a uh, data background or data role. Um, but wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit more on like how important are analytics when starting up a company versus, okay, you're a well-established company. Does that question make sense or do I need to reframe it? Um, I think you're asking how important analytics is for startups versus larger companies. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a very, very tough question. I think analytics is always important, but the question is, you know, how can the manager or the uh, business owners use those analytics and uh, those skills and training, um, or whether or not you actually need training? When, when we, I still remember back in the eighties, we praise 
um, business leaders for their intu intuition. Intuition, yep. And what is intuitions, right? How do you quantify intuitions? Actually, that goes back to our previous question about art. I think a lot of it has to do with people having so many stories, having so many encounters in their life that they sort of develop a set of experience or rules that they see as valid and that came out to be intuitions and today we call it analytics mm -hmm. or data um, analysis or whatever you call it but at the end of the day though people still choose to do the same thing if they were given the choices um, say for example to my son if you try to wake him up my teenager son and uh, if you try to wake him give him a choice would you like to sleep over time and or you would like to get up strictly 6 30 in the morning uh, almost like a soldier he would definitely choose to be <laughs> sleeping in, yeah. yeah sleeping in his bed and 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 just you know as long as he could so this is just natural and that's what i always been uh, telling my my teenager boys too as it as they grew up and i said hey people one one big problem we have as human beings is all, we're always gravitated to take the easier options right mm -hmm. yeah whatever is easiest for us we choose we tend to do that and that makes us makes us so predictable which is why we always we always say we repeat our mistakes in the history right we do if you look at it you know we've been in wars time and over again and why is that people say hey why don't you just learn something from the history mm -hmm. this happened to us you know thousands of years ago right. but still people repeat that because we all resort to the easiest things that we we can do in our life so are you saying that um for this for this data and, and analysis are you saying that you know companies aren't still aren't using it as much as they should well i think it's it's two ways you know it's it's the fact that we're now using more and more data-driven decision-making uh, tools in in our in our business uh, in the business world today definitely makes it um makes makes ourselves a little bit more you know, efficient in the past than in the past more productive than than in the past but then at the same time if you look if you go into the boardroom let's say for example and talk to the board of directors people are still you know still sort of the same people as they mm -hmm. used to be or as they were mm -hmm. um they are they appear to be more inf informed with more data with more reports being presented to them but um but when it comes to but they all come with some perspectives or some angles that they already have opinions about mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying biases exactly yeah. it, it, you can call it biases but then at the same time you can also call it culture Sure, sure. Because we all grow up in in an environment that we con constantly feed from, mm -hmm. right? We take, you know, advice. We hear our parents yelling at us, you know, and uh, screaming at us, not cleaning the table, and all of those kind of things. And we we go to uh, we we work in a in a corporate environment, and we got people smearing at us and doing all kinds of things and doing a little trick behind you, and you know, we we, we all. And, and and these are all environmental factors and mm -hmm. we all feed from them and uh, so that's actually uh, contribute to the biases that we all come with mm -hmm. and, you know come in so uh, I don't know if there's a definite answer to, to your question no, but 
I think it, I, I from what I understood, the way I heard it was like, it makes sense to me. And I, from the way I kind of grabbed that that answer, Hayden, was that there's yes, there's they're using more data and making more informed decisions, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it is kind of like uh, a double edged sword here because if you're using more data, that's historical data, right, to drive your decisions, then are you actually changing that much? That's right. a loaded question. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's a, it's kind of like this. That's why I asked it. It's kind of like this. When we before internet, mm-hmm. okay, um, our activities can be recorded or counted by maybe how many telephone calls you made, to what number, to who, um, and how many trips you make a day um, uh, from between your home and, and and your business and other places. And then people can analyze your behavior and say, hey, this guy is a honest guy, never cheating on his wife, and blah, 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 blah. Right. But today it's internet. Now, does that change people's pattern? I doubt it. I mean, you know, if people cheat, people cheat online, right? If mm-hmm. people do things, then they do online. Now, if you look at the data and it's just, oh, this guy, you know, he, well, we have all the data right. on the internet. Okay. We have everything we see that this guy actually went on uh, seeking.com and that, <laughs> that you know, whatever yeah and but does that make a difference that's the fundamental question knowing all the data would that change you would that change your perspective um i would have to say in a lot of a lot in a lot of cases probably we're not changed by the data that we see or have access to yeah i would i would agree with that i, I mean from my experience, I think a big problem actually is with all the data that's out there, if you're within like a large organization, like, yes, you would think that you're going to get a lot more insights and action uh, to improve the, the business. But I also see a lot of people misinterpreting the data, which yep. is actually the opposite effect that you would want when you quote unquote, oh, I have all the data. But if you don't know how to interpret that data, or you think you're interpreting the data yeah. correctly, but you're you're not, then you're gonna have you know negative or adverse effects on on your business. And I've seen a little bit of that. Yeah, uh, but then uh, I have to say, data analytics do help um, in a lot of ways, uh, in, particularly in in correcting our erroneous um, sure views on certain things. Right? Yeah. If we if we say if the, let's say the top executive says this it's wrong to go into this to focus on this demographic but then you present the data and say hey you know what this demographic has a lot of wealth for you to you can slice and dice millions and millions of ways right and 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 that's and that's actually also the role that we're playing as well as the uh um, as the chinese chamber of commerce here in this region as well a lot of people question and say hey chinese chamber of commerce are you guys you know funded by the chinese government we're not we're funded by actually we're funded by uh, kroger and mm. and a number of uh, uh local uh businesses from the regions and and nonprofit organizations as well and uh, and the way we position ourselves is the same thing we said well we're going we we can gather data and present data in ways that you probably did not think of in the past for sure we're, we're not trying to change the direction this country or this society or this community is taking we're just offering you almost like a the blind spot view and say hey it's kind of like when you're driving you're changing lanes and of course you 
look around, but there's always blind spots. And we're just offering that particular blind spot coverage for you and say, hey, here's what we see from the angle that we have. And you can continue to make a decision to drive down, remain in the same lane, change left, change right. That's the driver's decision. But we're just presenting the data so that you can have a different, you know, or more comprehensive reuse. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. There's definitely multiple perspectives that you can bring to the table. Um, yeah. Love that. You get some good ones on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you touched on a couple of these, Cole, yourself. Um, but let, let's see. Uh, so, again, I, I think you kind of touched on this, but I think you've got uh, previous experience uh, investing in startups, um, not necessarily being uh, a quote-unquote owner or founder, but like what what do you look at if you were, um, let's say, an angel investor and you mm -hmm. wanted to invest in a company? Like, Are there some uh, common characteristics that you look right. for? Well, um, I touched upon this earlier, you know, that's first, it's very important to be in the good, in the right category. Sure. Yeah. Because um, if you're in the wrong industry, if you start off in the wrong category, your chance of survival is, is going to be very different, you know. Yeah. And um, um, so that's number one. Number two, we always look at people, you know, at the end of the day, going back to my earlier comments about uh, quantum physics people is change factor you 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 induce a change with the people mm -hmm. uh, it brings a lot of unknown uncertainties into the uh, picture um, and people is the largest um, variable in in this particular case so you got to look at the people and say hey how can I find the right people um, that will definitely bring this to a successful um, stage I wouldn't call it end because you know there's really no end to entrepreneurship. Sure. Um, and uh, the other thing, then of course, um, after looking at the people, you gotta you, you gotta look at the different time um, time zone or time phases as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, nobody, honestly, nobody can be winner all your life. Okay. Yep. You always have your prime time, and then you have your you know sort of getting aging and whatever reasons and uh, you get stubborn or you know, sometimes you get stubborn with your own success and uh, and you start to lose and uh, it happens a lot so you got to look at different timing and say hey is this the right timing for me to get in involved get uh, is it the right timing for me to intervene and uh, uh, people you know I, I always look at it only at two get involved in two stages Stage one is from zero to one because you're creating something. You're creating a value. You see a value that has, or you see a market that's underserved that needs to be served, and you come in with a solution. That's usually what we call it from zero to one. Um, one may sound very little compared to 10,000 or 1 million, but from z between zero to one, that's infinitely greater right. than zero. So you go in there and say, hey, you know, here are some great ideas and great opportunities. You go in there. That's the timing. And the other timings is when people uh, go from uh, go from zero to one, and then from between one to 100, usually they struggle a lot. Mm -hmm. They go up and down. Mm -hmm. you know, from one to 10, very easy 
when you know when you establish a business case and uh, or a business model and you go in and test the market and uh, you get moderate success and you get oh my oh, so so big on yourself and say hey I can replicate this mm-hmm. I can I can make this happen in ten different markets and you go from ten or one to ten and then you know from ten to maybe twenty thirty very easily but then the the problem is how do you get to one hundred right and you got to test the market and um, I have a lot of people approach me with very successful um, say for example when I was in Shenzhen I got people approaching me and say hey I have this new recipe for tea for uh, Tea drinks, right, right, right. Boba tea, and and then I said, "Well, okay, show me how good it is." And they said, "Okay, look at this. You know, this this shop, great. We opened another one, and we did another ten, and they were all hugely successful." And then I said, "Try thirty, try fifty, and see if you're as successful as you think, because mm-hmm. there's a certain cap to the market that." Uh, that this particular product can can serve totally, and uh, there's also this uh, economy of scale when you when 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 you when you start procuring and 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 getting to a certain stage. But then at the same time, it comes with a lot of cost that you never thought of as well. When you grow from twenty to thirty to fifty to a hundred, then you have people. Keep in mind, <laughs> going back to the people again, you get you have to recruit more people, and people, like I said, it's the largest. Variable mm-hmm. to your business model when you when you don't manage them well when you grow from ten to one hundred you fail a lot of people actually fail miserably when they are trying to grow from ten to one hundred they do very very well before ten but then they fail miserably when they try to get to one hundred okay so when you get to that point now get into after you get past all the tests and you're still successful. Then you get into what we call the, the high growth uh, stage, and that is another great stage that uh, investors should get involved because you already tested yourself, products is good, markets is good, and you already go through your growth pains. Uh, now you can actually easily replicate your model and grow from one hundred to uh, one thousand to one million, and that's when you know investors should get in as well. Awesome. I love that answer. So, so basically so you're saying... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I understood as you, you're saying, I, I, you like to get in at the beginning stages, mm-hmm. like when it's fresh, when you can have a lot of input. Yeah, zero to one. Like I yeah. said, you know, you're creating something. You're creating a value. And that value, no matter how little it may be compared to the future uh, market, market size, it's still infinitely larger than zero. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, higher growth when you've right. already been established. If you're if you're a professional money manager, you would know. You know, it's it's not about how much money you have; it's how much margin you can get in a given time limit. I love that. <laughs> you can have the whole world at your disposal, but if you don't know how to use it, mm-hmm. how to grow it, then it's nothing. It means nothing to you. All right. I guess another thing to add on is it just depends too in terms of like the the business, uh, like how quickly do you want to grow, how large do you want to grow? Because some people might not want to scale to a very large, you know, right future business. Right. So that's that goes back to that you know 
zero to one, and then one to ten, and to one hundred, and then one hundred to a million. You know, it's just it 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 all depends on a number of things. You know,、right. whether or not you're able, you're you're the managerial type,、mm-hmm. are you able to manage people? Yeah, like I said, people is the largest、uh, variables here. So, are you able to manage that? If you're not, then probably it's better off you stay. You know, with the、uh, with the smaller scale and be successful where you are, and not worry about. Uh, replicating the same business model again and again, but if you are、uh, good at、um, large, complex、um, human resources management system, then yes, you can definitely go for go for this shoot for the sky. Totally.、Yeah. Now, technology is super important, but I think there's also you know negative consequences of technology. And we can keep this more general, or maybe we can keep it specific to, let's say,、uh, agriculture. What are some things that we, as a society,、um, should be careful about in terms of technology? Well, technology is、um, well. First, let me define what I think technology is. Sure.、Um, I've been, you know, you know, I've been in the VC industry and did some uh, uh, startups myself, and. And I got approached by a lot of people with a lot of different ideas. Okay,、mm-hmm. I can tell you that. And uh, but um, in most cases, most of these people that approached me with a new technological innovation,、um, they all claim how valuable it is,、mm-hmm. and how unique it is, and how nobody can get around it. You know, this is the <laughs> only way. Okay, this is the only way. For the for technologies to happen, and therefore I hold this patent, I hold this、uh, trade secret, whatever it's called, and I'm going to capitalize on it and make a hell of profit out of this. And I always said, buddy, that's not technology to me.、Mm-hmm. Okay, here's what I think technology is. Technology is a new, is an innovation.、Mm-hmm. It is a new solution to maybe old problem or to new problems. Um, but it's gotta be a solution that's cheaper than what it is today.、Mm. Otherwise, it will never get adopted. It will never get done. It will never get implemented. And it doesn't matter how cool you think it is. <laughs>、right. If it doesn't do things in a cheaper way and create a profit for people to actually adopt this new technology. So that's how I define technology. I don't look at it as a way of you know doing something. Doing exactly, it's not just a new way of doing things.、Mm-hmm. And especially when it's a new way of doing things at a higher cost, I'm sorry, that's not technology. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Because、yeah. <laughs> <That's> advancing. <laughs> yeah, you can give me the whole world's fortune, and I can come up with all kinds of new technologies. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. But that's going to consume all of us.、Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So new technologies need to be new ways of doing things at a cheaper, less cost, expensive, less expensive way. So that there's new margins for people to actually benefit from.、Mm-hmm. Right. That's the key. You know, because it, if it doesn't produce that dividends, nobody is going to invest their time, resources, money, energy. Nobody does. Or at least for at least at least for not not for a sustainable amount of time. Right. Now, going back to the danger、um, of、uh, new technologies, though. All right. 
And uh, one thing, of course, you know, uh, Cole visited China with me several times. Well, one time, and uh, but that was soon to be several. He's taking <laughs> me back. Yeah. They miss me. And uh, um, you notice that in China, there's cameras everywhere, mm-hmm. and a lot of people say that's because China's is a police state. Everywhere. He's when he says everywhere, everywhere, yeah, <laughs> wow. every corner. Um, I actually, knowing China myself, I think. A lot of it is actually done by private companies. A lot of people didn't know that, and they thought it was the government. You know, blah blah blah. blah, blah. Actually, it was a way for the technology people or companies to make money mm-hmm. off of people. Mm-hmm. You know, they look at your how you drive, your driving behavior. If you cross the uh, lane without flashing a light, or you cross the uh, solid li- uh, solid line when you're when you're supposed to stay in the lanes, then they find you. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's all money. It's all money. Yep. Okay, and it's just that's exactly the same kind of things, you know, because these technologies are not there to help us do things in a cheaper, safer um, manner way, and they are actually trying to exploit us. And that is the danger of a technology. Now, would technology continue to be a great way to our society, a great contributor to our society? I think so. Um, but the way I look at it is very different. I don't look at uh, technologies as a replacement factor for our human labors or for our human intelligence. But I look at technologies as a way to at least find the baseline to sustain humanity. And be able to maintain that, sustain that, and that is what what I think the future of our technology should be uh, focusing on. I'll give you one example. If you look at the human uh, civilization, right? What what constitute a human uh, human uh, civilization? What do you think? How do you define this is a civilization versus a bunch of rogue, right, right, people, animals, anarchy, on, on right. On the planet, well, when you say it's a civilization, there's got to be hierarchy. Yeah, there's got to be people on the top. There's got to be people at the bottom, mm-hmm. right? And in the ancient times, what what kind of uh, hierarchy do we have? We have slaves at the bottom, a lot of slaves at the bottom, a little bit of a middle people, and then some elites in the top, mm-hmm. like the kings, the queens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of like a kind of like a, a beehives or or ant um, colony, it, yeah. right? Um, you have the queen and king or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at today, yeah. or let's probably not so much today, but a couple of decades ago in in America or the United States, boast about it, basically boast about its um, middle class you know, <laughs> in the developed countries. We're now no longer a pyramid shape of society. We are a middle class kind of like um, football um, shape or a diamond shape. Right. You know, we have people at the top. Yeah, very few. You know, uh, very high income um, uh, people in the at the top. But we have a huge middle class, and then we have very few people suffering at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And but the problem is, is that kind of society stable? You already see. We're actually trending towards the other way, but going back to the pyramid again, right? After the several years, several decades of um, uh, globalization, what do we learn? You tell me. Eh? Okay. Well, one of the Harvard uh, uh, Harvard professor did a research, 
and uh, and he he looked at all the data of the different household incomes around the world, mm-hmm. and he found he charted them. He put put all the data on the chart, and uh, turned out that the Asian middle class families' income have seen a sixty between sixty to eighty percent growth over the past few decades. Okay, and if you look at the developed countries, all the different household income distribution. Guess who matched that kind of uh, growth? Nobody. Top one percent. Hmm. What does that tell you? The rich is only getting richer. <laughs> the rich is getting richer, exactly. And uh, the middle class in the developed countries, particularly in the United States, not moving. Not moving at all. V- their incomes. So the gap absolute, is getting wider. Exactly. The absolute um, income number, though. Increased tiny a little bit, right? But not matching the growth rate as the uh, middle class um, uh, Asia and the top one percent in the developed countries. That means the income gap in the developed country expanded, well, it's widening. Tremend- widening tremendously. So what that tells you? That tells you, you know, the diamond shape or the football shape of uh, societies is actually not that sustainable. It's not going to last forever. That brings us to the problem. Okay, if in an ideal in an ideal situation in a you cannot even call it a utopia yeah that was what he said kind of situation yeah don't we all want to be on the top? Of course we do. Yeah, right. All, we all do. Yeah. And what does that make our society then? If we are all on the top, <laughs> a reverse pyramid. Right, because it'd be fat on the top and yep, small exactly. on the bottom. Exactly. If everybody is given the fair chance to climb up to the top, we'll all be at the top, um, or at least you know a good number. Right. Of so then nobody's there. really at the top, right? <laughs> no. Well, no. no, no, no I, I'll get to that. Okay. So it will make our human society into a reverse pyramid. Yep. And reverse pyramid is not stable. Right. We all know that, but it could be attained if we have a bigger base of AI, robots, automation. See, that's where I think the future is going to be for our human uh, civilization. Because wouldn't you want to be you know, living in a day where we don't no longer have to worry about hunger, famine, um, slavery, Racism, mm-hmm. all kinds of. That'd know, be amazing. It will be amazing, but it can be attained if we have rules that's written into the technologies and say, "Hey, these things, these are the basic rules of our human society or of, of our human civilization, and these needs to be maintained by the technologies, by the automations, by the AIs." So it allow it'll allow the human, like the human race. To, to to move to the top or into the echelon, exactly, and then and we continue to to that's to, a big idea to strive it. for higher aspirations and higher you know challenges that we probably are not are probably not known to us today. I don't know. Maybe it's the uh, universe exploration, spatial exploration, and I love that. I don't know, but it can be attained. Like I said, if we turn the human society into an upside down pyramid, 
but built on a huger, larger base, mm-hmm. having billions of robots. Bring up the quality of life for everybody, exactly. but have have some building blocks in place. So as we're moving, as society's moving up, right, you're putting a block in place. Like here's Correct. here's your stepping stone, and here's your stepping stone. Yep. I'm just mind blown over here. That's <laughs> fascinating. I've never thought of something like that. Yeah, no, I, I see how that could potentially work. Going back to my question around like uh, some negative consequences with technology, like I'm, I'm going to just jump in and share some of my thoughts too with that. Like I think humans can get too dependent on technology. Um, and you've discussed like, you know, people are an important part of just life yeah. and the future of, of any type of business. But like, I think I'm starting to see more and more people like not have the right soft skills or like be able to interact with other humans because they're constantly looking at a screen in front of them. Like, would you agree that that, and I don't even think that's really that debatable, but do you think that there could be a point in time where like human beings are like afraid to talk to other human beings because they're just used to some type of artificial world? Well, I don't know. Um, there's an answer to that. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's probably something for us to explore, right? Um, and uh, what the outcome is uh, for human beings. Um, to your point, yes, people are more glued to the screens that's right in front of them, um, rather than you know going out and reaching out to people. But I still believe in humanity, and I still believe in the human interactions. Like I said, and um, and if, if we continue to have information and data um, at, at our own disposal um, in a more truthful way and and I will be able to make decisions, well-informed decisions on our own and mm-hmm. take those decision-makings on our own rather than re- relying on the technology or some media um, outlets and say, hey, this is right, this is wrong, and rather we go out there and uh, see for ourselves and um you know Cole went with me to China and and I have to say he that took a lot that took a lot of uh, courage on his part and um Had a blast. took a little bit of an investment from from my part but hey it was <laughs> it was a win win <laughs> it was well worth it yeah. yeah it's well worth it and uh we you know then we got to see the people how people are making a living over there, how they're approaching their day-to-day challenges and solving the, those challenges. And and even today, I, I, feel, I feel for the Ukrainian people and the Russian people too. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, both regular people in Russia and Ukraine, none of them want, want the war. Yep. And um, it was really, <laughs> if you ask a regular mom or in Russia or a regular mom in Ukraine, I don't think they, they want a war. Right. And um, but then but then problem is you know we're being fed information, and um, sometimes we turn hostile to uh, to even Russians that are living here in the United States. And I I honestly I think that's wrong. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that humans are lazy in terms of? making a decision on the information that's presented to them based on that, that yeah, question. Earlier, was, I, I think I already made that comment, right? Yeah. You know, we're all lazy and yeah. we're all trying to get the easiest uh, uh, decision. And one of the th- biggest problem or biggest challenge that I fear for human beings is um, we all resort to the easiest question, uh, easiest answer, and that is no. Right. Right. When we, when we are asked to change, make a positive change in our life, and the easiest answer is no. 
I just want to keep it the same way as, as it is. You know, I I love I love sweet food, and I continue to crave for sweet food. And the problem is, before you know it, you got di- diabetic, and you got all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. And um and same thing, I fall for it too. You know, my my son asked me, he said, Dad, the only thing I'm gonna ask you is to get out there and and exercise for one hour every day. And I said, Yes, I I would do it. But would I ever do it? I don't know. You know, if I ever get to do it. Right. So that's the same problem. We all we all resort to the easiest option sure. in our life if we were given the the uh, the, the choices. And uh, that is the biggest problem, and that's what I said. You know, is the most predictable outcome of our humanity. And that's, that is, we always resort to. The that's history. our challenge, right? I was gonna, I think, kind of like to, to mesh those two ideas together because I think the question uh, you asked is, are we becoming lazier? Which is yes. Like, are we getting so much lazy and more like? I think the soft skills. I think you're right. The soft skills. Because I was just thinking about in my profession what I do, like what I get, I get bombarded by salespeople or different softwares that are funneled to me, curated to me through different platforms that are like, hey, make your prospecting easier by doing this, or make your marketing easier by automating this, or never have to cold call again, or never. And it's like, okay, this is all ways for me not to interact with people, but it's it's feeding to that like that that oh, I don't have to like ever do something hard again right Right. so that i can just i can avoid instead of like having to take on a challenge and be and say yes i can avoid the decision altogether right i can i can totally ignore it and um i think that we're also getting inundated by i i definitely like some of the technology and some of the software and tools that are out there that you can they can make your life easier right they can you can get on an app like i did recently and get your laundry done because you don't like doing your own laundry like i'm doing that now i love it it makes my life better because it's just laundry i don't i don't want to spend my time doing it but i do think there's there is a downside to some of the some of the advances or software and stuff we're being fed out there that it it takes away from like our our need to even say yes to a thing right like you're saying okay i can shoot knows the easy route but it's giving us a way. It's giving us a third option. I don't have to say yes. I don't have to say no. I can just automate it. And it's like, okay, so you really, are you really yeah. moving forward in life or being better, yep. or are you just avoiding the cost? Hey, I don't. It's wanna... like your dirty laundry, right? Yeah. And uh, if uh, yeah, doing dirty laundry yourselves teaches you something, and you probably learn something, gain something out of it. But if it's already t- taken care of by AI, by automation. So that you can focus on other things, right? There are certain probably, benefits, exactly. There's certain benefits, and then you you continue to think, "Hey, I'm so bored. What am I going to do now?" And the same same thing as my children, my 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 five year old, eight years old. She's they're already approaching me every time and said, "Hey, if I don't have the iPad, I feel so bored." But the it's it's natural. Don't get me wrong, you know. It, it's is it bad? Yes, I do think it's bad you sure. know, for the kids to be so addicted to uh, to the screens these days. But then at the same time, you know, it challenges. But the, the the key is what kind of challenges that you bring them to, so that they say, "All right, what can be more fun than just gluing my eyeballs to mm-hmm. the iPads?" And um, you gotta think about it. You gotta present those new challenges to them and say. And open their eyes, open their minds, and say, "Hey, you know what? There are better things to do. Don't you enjoy it? Don't you like that? And 
why don't we experience that together? And uh, you know, that's the kind of things I think human beings ought to be bringing to ourselves. Right. Like we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna automate this, but so then that since that's not I don't have to do that anymore. How do I backfill that time with something that's like beneficial to me? Correct. And again, like you, yeah, that point of like how many times like, well, this is boring if I'm not like. You know, like I found myself doing that recently. Like, oh, I'm just bored. It's like, because uh, I'm, 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 I put my phone down for two hours and I'm bored. Like, that's sad. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? When I was growing up, we had flip phones. You didn't right. get to go scroll social media, <laughs> right? That wasn't boring. So, uh, again, I think the just the the, the technical uh, uh, advances, technological advances, and and things that we're able to do are can be great. Yeah. Hopefully, something will come up. Um, that's beyond our imagination today, and, mm-hmm. and uh, human humanity can come up with new challenges and and uh, new innovations that um, that will uh, solve problems, old problems, new problems. Totally, I, I love that call out. Like a hundred years, a thousand years from now, people are going to be looking back, you know, saying what we did was so archaic, like we do now for right. people, you know, hundred or a thousand years true. ago. Yeah, so I love that's that true. as a reminder. Did you have anything else? That uh, well, I wanted to. Um, there's one thing I wanted to hit, and and then I wanted to do a quick quick hitter because I think it's fun. But the question I had was, what is some of the best advice you've ever been given? Ooh, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I I really haven't given a whole lot of advice, just to be honest, um, because um, in most cases, those advice are just being ignored <laughs> like i said earlier you know people, we, a lot of us are just you know human nature we just resort to uh, the easiest way to mm-hmm. uh, getting things done and when you tell somebody hey there's a better way and they say they would the first reaction would be is it easy is it easier than the current one which is no <laughs> i'm not going to change anything <laughs> um and um and i'll say this uh my son uh, he's 19 years old and um he uh he joined his mom um and uh made a decision to move away and then join his mom okay and um and then he said dad i remember i don't remember a whole lot of things you told me i said okay you know as you grew up i said a lot of things <laughs> he said i he said that's right but um i forgot about all of them only one, th- with the exception of one thing. One thing that you said to me that I remember to this date. And what is that? It's that you told me, first, take care of yourself before you worried about others. Love that. And, uh, <laughs> That's such and a good the, one, isn't it? And the a- analogy that I used was when you're on the airplane, um, that's what the, uh, what the flight attendants always train you to do. All right. Put on your oxygen mask first, first before you help others. Damn right. And I said the same. Th- and I used that analogy to my children, and uh, that's the only thing they ever remember. And now they're saying the same thing to me. They said, "Dad, don't worry about me. Worry about yourself. Take care of yourself." I was like, "Okay, they're that's reversing probably it on a you. good. Yeah, that's a that's a good way, a very gentle way of saying, mind your own business." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool. I I I think that's uh that's awesome. That's that's that might be a good title for this. Yeah, take totally. care of yourself first. I like that. Um, so I I just want to say 
I was going to hit some quick hitters. I mean, actually, I'll hit, I'll hit one because this is a really easy one for me. We'll see what you say. Do you like? Do you like Skyline? Uh, well, I can do it. My tolerance is probably once a year. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. I was going to say Skyline or Gold Star, but do you like either? There's no right or wrong answer. There is. There is a right answer. I don't know. <laughs> they both are terrible. <laughs> the honest answer. Okay. Uh, like. Okay. So I guess here, here's a good one then. I'm, I'm trying to come up with it as we go. Do you prefer day or night? Well, I don't uh, differentiate day and night. Hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know if I share this uh, openly before, but I have a sleep pattern that's very different from other people. I do three-hour sleep cycles, and I do in three hours chunks of three hours. If I get lucky, of course, you know, I would do three. That means nine hours sleep out of a night, but I don't. Uh, mo- in most cases, I do one sleep cycle or two, uh, three hours or six and uh, simply because you know the, the uh, science already scientists already prove it you know mm-hmm. uh, for you to have deep sleep mm-hmm. which is re- reflected by the uh, rapid eye movement yep it takes about two between two and a half hours to three hours and uh, three hours is abundant for people to actually have go into the deep sleep mode and recover um the rest is just because we don't have anything better to do at night so let's just go back, <laughs> right, to sleep, go back to sleep go back to another sleep cycle and that's it and and i noticed that when i was in high school um i had a hard time uh, taking naps mm. because it was mandatory for me back then to yeah. actually have a nap during after lunch and then uh, before the afternoon sessions school session starts for school again, okay it was because yeah, we, you were over in yeah i, were, I was really was it jiao ching yeah jiao ching yeah and um so at noontime, if I try to sleep and I had to wake up, you know, in maybe after 30 minutes or so in order to go to the afternoon session of school, I find it more tiring for me. Yeah. And I wonder why. Um, later, I found out it was actually, you know, either you take naps between 5 to 15 minutes, not, nothing more, more than 30 minutes, because once you pass that 30 minutes, your body tells you you're now getting going into deep sleep into deep sleep but you got interrupted yep and then you actually feel even worse than sleeping and same thing happens when when i was uh growing up and we were told that hey kids should get eight hours of sleep every night and i said okay i'll make sure i get eight so i go to bed at um, 10 let's say and then make sure i wake up uh, with an alarm Eight hours later, right? I always felt terrible until I actually read that report. REM, rapid eye movement, actually happens between two and a half um, and three, hours and, and three. And then I said, "Okay, I know why." You've been doing this for a while. Yes, that's fascinating, and uh, it helps me a lot because um, when I wake up in the middle of the night time here. It's usually still afternoon in China or Asia time, and I would be able to handle a lot of emails, a lot of um, um, social media um, applications. People, you know, reach me for certain advice or decisions, and I can actually still make the decisions before they go, they they, they leave uh, leave work. And um, so then, and then I, if I need to, I can go back to another three hour sleep cycle, or I can just stay up 
the whole day with five, 10, 15 minutes uh, naps somewhere in between. So is your schedule different every day or are you doing three My hours? My schedule is different every day. Wow. Yeah. I never have a set. I never tell myself, hey, I, I have to go to bed at nine or at 12 or anything. I never have to tell me anything. I just make say, sure you get in your three hour segments. Yep, I make sure I have at least one, three segments every day. Usually I get two. And sometimes if I'm lucky, I get three. And wow. that keeps me going all these decades. Sounds like your competitive advantage. You just released a big secret. I've I've <laughs> heard about that a little bit. I actually uh, had a, I almost said a roommate. It wasn't a roommate, but someone that lived on the same floor back in college did something like that. And that was the first time I was ever privy to any information like that. But you wonder why that isn't more mainstream with society. As you mentioned, like they always say, oh, you got to get eight to 10 hours of sleep and it should be a consistent eight to 10 hours of sleep. But like that might be an outdated paradigm. I think so. I yeah. think it's just because people have nothing better to do with. <laughs> yeah. you know, when, you, when you wake up in the middle of the night, what are you going to do? You know, there's nobody on this outside. There's nobody in the house. And if you walk around in the middle of the night, and uh, people will even think you're a burglar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're a creeper. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but in my case, it's different. You know, I got, I got, I got people. Uh, you got things to do, Leo. Things to do in <laughs> Asia, and it's an entirely night and time, night and daytime sure. for us. So it's it, it's it, it's useful for me. You want to try that challenge? I'm seriously thinking about it. Okay, I remember when we were when we were over uh, a few years ago. We were in Asia. We were it was it was the overnight train we were taking from Beijing to Qingdao. Yes, and I remember like because it was like so it was literally an overnight train. You start at like nine o'clock and then you get there like six thirty or seven in the morning. And I remember like we were everybody trying to sleep and I walk out. And it's like three in the morning, and obviously I'm having a trouble because. Like I just flew over. I think you'd already been there for a couple of weeks, and you're used to like making this trip uh, twenty times a year or something like that. So right. I went out there, and he's like sitting in the hallway. He is he's playing a game on his phone, and I'm like, "Are you going to sleep?" He's like, "No, I usually don't sleep." <laughs> I'm like, "What are you doing?" And then he told me about this, and like this has been, I mean, a regular thing. I mean, at some point. I'd get like email from him at, like three or four in the morning. I'd be like, yeah. it literally like consistently. Cause we and I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot. Like Leo's like an absolute animal. Okay. The dude, the dude doesn't sleep. No, I, I sleep. <laughs> it's just that, you know, with that three hours, yep. uh, patterns, it makes it a lot easier for me to have completely flexible schedule mm -hmm. rather than having to, you know, call it a date at night and all that kind of thing. Do you feel you wake up like with more, like, do you come out of that sleep? more energized than like a full well i yes absolutely because every time i wake up i wake up exactly at about three hours mark right rather than well somewhere between 245 and uh and three hours so i always get fully recuperated you know with quicker kind of yep yep when's the last time that you've slept a consistent six or eight hours it been years. Oh, it's yeah. It yeah. must have been years. Wow. Because yeah, this pandemic during the pandemic, there are a lot of things to do. Oh, terror. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know why the, the pandemic. You know, while everybody's just kept at home, then you know, either it's uh, your home little home project, home improvement mm -hmm. projects, or or other things. You know, just just keep you keep you up at night. You know, and uh, yeah, I've been I've been busy as a bee. Yeah, I've been busy. Yeah. I would have never expected getting that out of a quick hitter, you know. That's been awesome. But one one thing though, one prerequisite is you need to be able to get into sleep very fast. 
and that's another trick and i can share that the uh share the other tricks another secret another time <laughs> yeah you need to have back to hear that saying, trick. like yeah because if you if you say i'm gonna do three hours and the first 45 minutes are falling asleep then you only got two hours 15 minutes roughly right i'm gonna bet it has to do something with removing yourself from like technology or like some type of no men- no, mental... no no it didn't have anything yeah it, but it does require a little bit of a meditating so to speak uh, yeah. okay Hang upside down by your feet for <laughs> Wait till the blood flows to your brain. He's like got, a vampire? Yeah, he's got one of those reverse tables. <laughs> he just drags himself to it and hits a button. Oh, <laughs> You're stretching your imagination. Yeah. Well, uh, no, I think that's all we had. I uh, I can't think of... I think this, is, this has been such a fun episode, Leo. Yeah, thank you. You, uh, you continue to educate that's what I love about this. I think I feel like you continue to educate and bring value and bring like a ton of, I mean, like you hang by your feet before you go to sleep. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we really appreciate you coming on here today. It was fantastic. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This Hard was here. very insightful. Uh, learned a lot of new stuff and, I want to have you back on if you'd want to come back on sure. sometime. I know we can keep going. We're at out, over an hour into this, but yeah. um, so I'll, I'll wrap it up. Leo, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. Uh, list to our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unscripted Exchanges. We are uh, appreciate all the support, the feedback, the engagement. Please keep it coming. Um, we've got some of our merch up here. Actually, you can see above that is for sale on our website. So uh, feel free to jump on there at unscriptedexchanges.com and uh, grab some of that stuff. We'll have more designs and uh, material coming. And uh, just want to say thank you once again, Leo. Thank you, Hayden, for being an awesome co-host. Jimmy, good job today. Did a good job. I'll give you the I'll give you the knocks. Um, just don't look at me, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> Leo, you don't know, but J- the guy in the corner is our production production guy. So. He's almost okay. invisible. Yeah, That's how good he is. Yeah, you don't even know he's here. <laughs> oh, well, Thanks, thank- everyone. We really appreciate it. And uh, tune in to uh, next week's episode. God bless. Thank you.